Uh, I want to start with sharing a little bit about my story, a little bit about my background. Um, some of you are newer here. You don't know all of our background for, for me as a person. But I want to take you back to 1995. I do want to ask, how many of you were, al- uh, were not alive in 1995? We're not alive in 1995. All right. All right, just look around you. You just aged by about 10 years, all right? 1995, uh, Emily and I were living in Louisville, Kentucky. It was my second year of seminary. We were, we were a part of a church that we had really grown to love, and, and we were a part of volunteering in multiple roles in student ministry and in worship ministry and uh, just, just loving the church. And so uh, about a year in, I had the opportunity to come on to the, to the staff in the office. So I was working in the office, and one of my jobs was I was a reader, or I, I did, I don't have one of these, all right, just so you know. I was a reader for the pastor, and so like he'd hand me a ton of books and say, would you do book reports on all these? It'll help me prepare for my sermon. I'm like, cheater. But anyway, uh, it was a job, right? And, uh, and so I did that, and, and, and one day I walked into work. Loved my job, loved the church, and I walked in. I was, you know, early 20s, really naive to how some churches function. And so I walked in one day and uh, I got to his office to go sit down and do my job. And he said, you're fired. This was no like Donald Trump moment. Okay. Like it was for real. All right. Is was, was that too soon to throw that into a church service? All right. He just said, you're fired. And I, I was like, for what? He said, you should know. I, I, there was nothing immoral. There was nothing illegal. Um, they were pleased with my work, and, and so little did I know that this church had the history of, particularly this pastor, of just firing people at will, just locking the doors on them, taking their keys, putting their stuff outside, had no idea. Then, all right, about the same time that I was starting to figure this out, I had written a paper for seminary on the immoral practice of firing without Christian standards of staff members. My pastor got the paper. He thought it was about him, okay? wasn't about him, but pot, call the kettle black, whatever you got to do. And um, so I remember, though, I remember, I remember leaving his, his office, and at that point, I still had not figured it out. And so I, I'm driving back. It's about 35 minutes from, from where, we were, where, we, where we worked and served in a church to seminary campus, and this is pre-cell phone days, so I couldn't call Emily and talk to her on the way back. And so we're driving back, and, and I'm driving back, and I'm this unair conditioned Ford Tempo. Anybody? No, I'm not going to ask if you have one of those, all right? Ford Tempo, all right? Beautiful car, blue, all scratched up. It was magnificent, air con- no air conditioning. I'm crying. It, I'm sweating. It was one of the best 35 minutes of my life, honestly. And, and I get back, and I walk upstairs, and I just called Emily before I left and said, hey, I, I, I got fired, and I'm not sure why, but I'll be back home in a few minutes, obviously. So I, I walked in our apartment, and two of our best friends from seminary were there, and Emily was there. And, and I'll never forget that day, sitting in our apartment, going through a whole range of emotions, anger, confusion, uh, doubt, tears. We ended up laughing at some point. We ended up having a, you know, just having all these emotions that surrounded this, this raw moment in our lives. And I will never, ever in all my life forget that day. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the, the season of my life. And it left me, quite honestly, a few months later, we just completely left that church, um, went to a great place of healing. But I got to tell you, 
that experience left me with some scars, left me with some pains, left me with some things that I just had to wrestle through in life. Now, that's one story from one day of my life. I could stand up here this morning and share story after story after story about the things that are a part of my life. And what I want us to do this morning is realize that everybody in this room has those stories. You've got some stories in your life that are results of physical struggles, emotional struggles. You've got some struggles and stories of your life that are results of sinful decisions, as I do. And there's consequences that you've faced. And you could share those stories. But this morning, I want you to, to do something with me. I want you to, to be able to take those stories and instead of locking those away in the past, I want you to be able to take some of those stories and I want to put it in a toolbox. I want you to put it, put it in a toolbox of being able to share the story of what God has done in your life. And I want you to realize that every single one of those stories that you have, every single one of those emotional pains, those sinful behaviors that you have seen the consequences from, those moments that have been at the hands of somebody else, every one of those stories is a tool that goes into a toolbox that enables you to share the story of Jesus Christ in a way that nobody else in this room can. You are equipped in a certain way to share the story of God in a way that no one else in this room can. Each of our stories are going to include messes and God's mercy. Every single one of us, our stories are going to include the messes of our lives, the struggles of our lives, but also the mercy of God. Those moments in Louisville, Kentucky, and those days that follow, those unwise decisions that I made in college, the loss of loved ones and people that I've cared for here at the church, all those are parts of the story. But also, if you've been following along with us this week in our pattern series, you'll see that those stories also are a tremendous opportunity for God's mercy to show up in our lives. And in each of those moments, now looking back, I've seen the mercy, I've seen the grace of God been poured out on some of those moments. And today, again, I want to transition you and help you and guide you in moving those stories into this toolbox and realizing a part of every one of those stories can be, if not already, the mercy and the grace of God. So far this summer, we've been looking at what does it mean to be a pattern for other people to follow? What does it mean to be a pattern? How do we pray for those who are spiritually lost was the very first week. Are we desperate to bring people to Jesus Christ. The second week, are we disciple makers? Are we making disciples that are followers of Jesus Christ? The third week we looked at, are we committed to studying the Bible and do we know how to do so? Do we know how to study the Bible? So today I want us to begin the conversation with and to continue this series with, so how do I, pastor, how do I take this studying of the Bible, this wanting to be a disciple maker, this praying for the lost, how do I now begin to edge outward and share this story of grace and mercy? This morning we're going to look at a pattern that is given in Scripture. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to go through 12 through 17. If you're one of our Bible drillers from this spring, you're going to really recognize, recognize verse 13 and 14. You memorize it in a little different version, but you're going to get kind of excited when we get to verse 13 and 14. So what is our story? What is your story? How has God equipped you unlike anybody else? What tools do you have 
stories, pains, difficulties that are in that toolbox. To do this, I want to reintroduce a story that we began this series with. It is a quick glimpse this morning of a guy by the name of Saul who later became Paul. Quick review, in case you weren't here that very first week. Saul was a persecutor of Christians in his early life. He stood by and he he stood by and literally watched a follower of Jesus be stoned to death, and those that were stoning Stephen to death laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul stood there with approval. He gave approval to have Christians arrested, and he had a desire. Here's what his desire was. I want to go from town to town to town to town. I want to arrest people who claim to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. I want to bring them back in and allow them to be persecuted. And so he encounters Jesus, though, one day as he's going from town to town. He encounters Jesus in a miraculous vision, a moment on his way to arrest more Christians. Yet following this incident, he goes back. uh, God leads him back to this place where he sits and he waits. And a guy by the name of Ananias comes and leads him and prays over him. And Saul gives his life to Jesus. Saul's story, full of persecution, full of pain. He turns his story now and he hands it over to God through Jesus Christ. And, And from that moment, Saul now becomes... Paul. Paul later goes on to write many of the words outside of the Gospels of the New Testament. He records, he writes to early churches. He, he really becomes the missionary to missionaries. He, he's the example for us as we look back, and he was used by God in a mighty way. But Paul had an incredible toolbox. I mean, Paul, if you look back on his life, there's some things in his life that you would say, those are painful, those are difficult. Paul Paul, those are things that are in your past. Let's just tuck those away. But those were also a part of his story. He could never get rid of those parts of his story. In fact, he revisited those when he would share his story. How do we share the story that God has given each of us? Here's what Paul says to a young guy by the name of Timothy. He's mentoring him. He's loving on him. And here's how Paul shares his story. Five verses. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy, and it is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is his story. I want us to see, I want us to break down his story. If you haven't already as a part of this resource, this pattern series, I want us to break down his testimony because in these succinct little verses, he tells us some amazing things about his past He tells us about his encounter with Jesus, and he tells you about his purpose for the rest of his life. The same is true for every single one of us. First thing he says, he was grateful. Paul was grateful. I thank him who has given me 
strength. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He's, he's pausing right here at the beginning to say, I thank God. I thank God because I was on a path and I was exhibiting sinfulness that we'll see in a moment, but I encountered Jesus, the power of Jesus, and I thank God. Listen to what he says. He has called and he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Those two things don't match in our minds the past of Paul, do they? And here's what he's saying. I am so thankful. I am so grateful. I am so pouring out my praise to God. Why? Because he judged me faithful? Are we talking about the same guy? This is a guy who persecuted people, who was violent, and God judged him faithful. How did God judge him faithful? By offering his son Jesus Christ as a payment for his sins, stepping in front of him and saying, I now hold the keys to Paul, and I'm judging him as faithful. Imagine a judge declaring to somebody the same circumstances as Paul, standing in front of them, not just passing the verdict, but becoming the verdict for him and saying, I'm judging this guy as faithful. An attitude of thankfulness and gratefulness, you know what it does in our lives? It opens up doors. It opens up doors for us to be thankful. Paul is speaking to this young minister, and he's disciple-making. He's pouring into him, and he's reminding him to serve with a spirit of thankfulness and of gratefulness. Don't ever forget it, Timothy. Timothy, don't forget. Be thankful. Be grateful. Why? Because God has judged you faithful, and he's appointed you to his service. I asked myself this question this morning as I was rereading back through the message. Are are the people that I am disciple-making learning to become thankful people? That's a trait he's passing on to Timothy. A trait I should be passing on as I'm making disciples. Are they learning to become thankful people, grateful people? Paul says he's judged me faithful. He also says, you appointed me to your service. Imagine being able to make that statement if you're Paul. He appointed me to his service? He desired to use me. We are grateful because God has saved us and desires to continue to use us for his glory. That's a part of your story. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, a part of the stories, a part of the moments, a part of the pain is the realization that you are thankful that not only did he judge you faithful, which is miraculous in itself, but he appointed you to his service. Every single one of you, I've said it, Dozens of times, and I'll keep saying that when people ask me how many people we have at our church, I hate that question. I'll try to answer them with how many people attend, and they'll say, well, how many people do you have on staff? And I'll say, well, about eight, nine hundred thousand. What? Well, that's how many of us have been called into his service. Every single one of us. Oh, oh, I got it. No, you don't got it. This is what we believe in this place, that you are called into his service. So we should be thankful. Then he goes on, he says, though formerly, this is the part of the testimony that we like to leave out, all right? This is our sinful past. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was mindful of God's mercy. Paul was mindful of God's mercy. Mercy, we got to redefine that every time we come around to it, just so we're on the same page. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards someone whom it is within their power to punish. So God had the power to punish Saul for his crimes, for his sins. But mercy here is God showing compassion, showing forgiveness towards him. And he said, I received mercy. Let me just highlight what he said he was. He's a blasphemer. That's someone who slanders someone else. He's a persecutor. Someone who hunts people down in order to punish or kill them. Don't let that just run by you real quick. He's saying, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor, someone who hunts down people to punish them. And I was an insolent opponent. Your translation may say, or may say, a violent opponent. Someone who is willing to do damage to someone else. Paul is saying, I'm grateful and I'm thankful. Why? Because I was a slanderer, I hunted down people to punish them, and I was a violent opponent of Jesus. Paul's not coming up saying, he's not giving his little safe testimonies. Well, I exaggerated one time when I was 11, and I used someone else's Netflix password to log on and watch and binge watch. That, that was my sin. No. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent opponent to the gospel of Jesus. I hunted people down to kill them. But I received God's mercy. But I received God's mercy. I received God's compassion. Paul doesn't leave out his past from his story. What we see Paul doing is he's never going to make himself the hero of the story. What he's doing right now is he's saying, this is my past, but this is what Jesus has done. Jesus is the hero to every one of our stories. Jesus is the hero to every one of your stories. Paul, his mind, he was mindful of God's mercy because of the stories of his past. I want to be really careful here and make sure that I'm not asking you to remain in your past. Because some of you, your past, from the calls of others, from the decisions of yourself, it's painful. It's got a lot of bumps in the road. Some of you don't want to go back to your past. Some of you don't like to think of your past. But in this, I want us to see that Paul is not remaining in his past. He's hinging his life on the mercy of God. He's not afraid to say, this was who I was, and this is what Jesus Christ has done. He's not afraid to bring that back up to the forefront and say, this is a story, this is a page, this is a part of the toolbox that God has placed in my life. I'm not going to shut the box and shove it away. No, I'm going to bring that toolbox to the table when I share my testimony with you, but also in that toolbox is, in the toolbox, is the mercy of God. That entire toolbox is the mercy and the grace of God that is covering, that is protecting, that is bringing him forward. He says, God's grace overflowed. He says in verse 14. There's an interesting word here. God's grace overflowed for me. It is the only time in the New Testament that this is ever used, the word overflowed here. And if you really want to translate it 
super simple to where we might get it. It means it more, more, more overflowed. There's like a double in there. It already means to overflow, but it means to more overflow. Hyper overflow is actually the word. He's not saying God's grace poured out just a little bit on him. No, it says it poured out. No, it didn't just pour out. It really poured out. It didn't really pour out. It really, really poured out over me. And he was mindful of that. When's the last time you've looked at the tools in your toolbox? The stories. Your life. That God has given you to impact other people as you make disciples. We did this exercise in our staff meeting a few weeks ago. It was really humbling to hear the toolbox of the people that serve you. I want to share a few of those with you. Here's what's in the toolbox. Here's the stories of the people that serve you. Cancer, single parent, cancer again, church hurt, growing up fatherless, doubt, miscarriages, brain tumor, meningitis, father dying as a teenager, the passing of a close friend. See, if we're careful, we don't look at those as, as tools. We look at those as the past. But Paul didn't look at his past, blasphemy, persecutor, violent man, and just tuck those away. He said, no, every time that I see those, I see the mercy of God. Every time I read those and dig into those from our church staff, I don't see those. I see the mercy of God. Every one of those provides an opportunity for the mercy of God. Our pain, our consequences from our sin can become tools to lead other people to Jesus because we've encountered the mercy of God. Some of us, many of us in this room, we're, share, we're scared to share our story because our story has sinful decisions, has embarrassing moments, it's got pain, it's got weeping, it's got days that you never want to revisit. Yet as you do, do not forget that if you've trusted in Christ, His grace has overflowed, 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 overflowed into your life. And that's now your story. That's now nothing to be ashamed of. It's enabling you to point to the grace of God. So Paul was also mindful of his mercy. He was humble. Paul was humble. The saying is trustworthy, he says, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I imagine Paul sitting in here with all of us this morning and me just going, hey, anybody want to just acknowledge that you're the biggest sinner in the room? Paul jumps up. Oh, 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 that's me. No, no, calm down, man. No, it's me. I am the biggest, foremost, front-running sinner in the room. I got this covered. And he says, this trustworthy saying is deserving as full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the word, world to save sinners, of which he's saying, I'm at the front of the line. 
See, we remain humbled by God's grace when we remain effective in sharing His grace. We remain humbled by God's grace when we are effective in sharing His grace. I look back on the Michael Bowers from my late teen years, and I don't like that guy at all. A couple of you in this room knew me, and you may not have liked me either. Join the crowd, all right? He struggled with pride, always will. He was never wronged. Occasionally he is now. Um, <laughs> he fell short in setting a godly example in many dating relationships. He was a leader who wasted many opportunities and a lot of resources that people were pouring into me. At times I look back on that guy, and even me 15 years ago, and I, and I pray that 10 years from today, I look back on this Michael Bowers and I go, I'm the foremost. I need to remain in a humbled position, a thankful position that I admit my sinfulness, that I admit that my attitudes and my behaviors, and I need to remain humble. I was talking with a group of students a long time ago, and I was asking them what did they feel like their spiritual strength was, and this one student just quickly raised their hand and the student said i i'm really good at being humble and they were totally serious and i just want to say put your hand down you you're not really good at it at all <laughs> let our past humble us but listen to me church but don't let it haunt us let your past humble you not haunt you and the difference is we remain humbled about our past when we focus on the goodness and the greatness of God. We become haunted by our past when we focus on our mistakes and our actions. Please hear me this morning. We are haunted by our past when we focus on what we have done and what we should have done differently. We are humbled when we look to the greatness of God. Do not be haunted by your past be humbled by your past because it is your story. They are the tools for you to use to share the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul was on a mission. Paul was on a mission. The other thing we see about this testimony that he's given to this young man, he said, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an, exam patience, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He just displayed his mission. He said, Jesus Christ might, be a, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life because I'm the foremost. If people look at me, it's the greatest example. When Paul walked into town, there's no way that Paul walked into a town and people didn't know his story. He persecuted and killed people. That doesn't leave you. I imagine the rest of his life, Paul walked into town and there's those that wanted to listen to his teaching because of what they'd heard about him, but there were also those that went, man, that guy, that guy has passed, but he was on a mission. Paul would arrive in a town and he would begin to proclaim the mercy of Jesus in his life, and he was on a mission. He was an example to those who were ready to believe in him for eternal life. Our stories are a part of God's story. This is your mission. This is your purpose. 
You, you have a mission. Jesus is the hero. When he went from town to town, he would share his past, but then he'd introduce Jesus at every opportunity. Why? Because Paul wasn't the hero of the story. Jesus was the hero of the story. Paul's past wasn't where he wanted to land the message. No, the grace of God was where he wanted to land the message. And this is our purpose. This is our mission. This is our pattern making 2,000 years ago. Now looking forward, it's the same mission. It's the same purpose It requires us to be honest. It requires us to be humble. To share our stories carefully with other people. With tools of brokenness. Tools of sin. Of our past. And grace. And mercy. In order to point to the resurrecting power that we so proudly proclaimed 15 minutes ago. As we sang. The grace of God transforms my story into his story. And he does the same in each of your lives. The grace of God transforms a story marred by sin and shame and guilt or pain. And what does he do after that? He sends us out on mission. We've said many times our purpose is to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus. We are on a mission We are calling and asking you to be a pattern to this community, not to your past, but to the grace of Jesus Christ. He concludes this section of Scripture, and he says this, To the King of kings, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's story was full of joy. Paul's story was full of acknowledging the greatness of God. I can't imagine Paul not being able to contain his joy as he goes from town to town. Here's my past. Here's my story. Here's the joy. Kill me. Persecute me. Here's my story. Psalm 64, Psalm 96, excuse me, verse 3 and 4 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. We share our story because it's God's story. We share our story because Jesus is the hero. Your past isn't the hero. The grace of God is the hero. Your sinful mistakes and the consequences that have led you into broken relationships on earth, that's not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ is the hero of your story. So this week, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to, I'm going to challenge you. You can use Paul's example right here. We've walked through it together. It's not confusing. His past, his encounter with Jesus, and his future. I want to challenge you this week to share your story of coming to Jesus Christ with one person. One person. Just one. They don't have to be an unbeliever. Your pet doesn't count, okay? Just give you a little bit of out. If you're married, it's your spouse. Share your story. If you've got kids, share your story at the kitchen table. Share your story with someone that you know that you trust. Because chances are, if you won't share it with them, you'll never share it with somebody who doesn't know Christ. So we're talking about practicing a pattern, putting something in our lives, saying, oh, I got a past, I got Jesus, and he's the hero, and I'll proclaim it. Share it with one person. Be grateful, be mindful, be humble, on mission, be thankful. Be grateful, be mindful, be humble, on mission, be thankful. 
As followers of Christ, we're commanded to share the grace of Jesus. This is the pattern that he gave us for the world. Now, some of you say, man, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with that. I've never done that before. So I'm going to give you another option, okay? Uh, in the worship guide this morning, there is a link. Uh, you can type it in, and it will go to a jot form. What that means is it's a prearranged form. Uh, after the service, it'll be up here on the screen, too, if you want. Write that down. Ignore that it says Bob James on there. It's just who sets up the form, but it really comes to me. The only person who will receive this form if you fill it out is me. And I won't know who it is unless you put your name, and I won't know your email address unless you put it on there, and I won't share it with the church unless you click yes or no, you can share that. But if you say, man, I'm not comfortable sharing my story with somebody that I'm close to. I've never done this before. If you've never shared your story, just take this step. I would love to spend my week, I'm serious, I would love to spend my week reading your stories. And very simply, all it's going to ask of you is this, what has God saved you from, how did God save you, and how is God working in your life today? I won't know it's you unless you tell me, I won't share it unless you give me permission. I want to ask you, if you've never shared your story, start with somebody, face to face, start with me. It's the pattern we've been called to do. It's the disciple-making beginning to looking at our past, the tools that we have in it, trusting that the mercy of God has covered us, being humbled by those things, and being willing to share that story with someone else. I'd love to hear your story this week. I'd be honored to hear it. And I believe that your kids, your grandkids, grandparents, they'd love to hear your story. They'd love to hear how you came to Christ. This is your story. This is your song. As the song says, praising my Savior all the day long.